Good morning, Northland. Great, great to be with you. If you have your Bibles, go ahead and turn with me to Acts chapter 4. We'll look at the end of that chapter and then the beginning of chapter 5. As you're turning there, I've got a question. How many of you, you have a device, maybe, maybe a watch, that tells you your heart rate? You, you, you wear a device and it kind of gives you your heart rate. Well, I have one and I actually really do enjoy it because especially when I'm working out, it tells me where, where my heart rate is and if I'm really exerting myself or if I'm not exerting myself. And I was thinking about this whole idea of wearing a device that measures your, your heart rate, but I would love a device that actually tells me something a little bit more in depth, like you really do need to check your heart. Like I, I, for instance, when, when I have higher levels of sarcasm I, that I'm about to spew, I, I would like a device that tells me to check my heart before I, that actually happens. Like for instance, when, when people, and, and it doesn't happen here, but in the past, you know, people would say, I wonder what pastors do. I mean, y'all just work on the weekend. And I'm thinking, okay, I'm, I, I want to be sarcastic. I wish I had a device that would just say, check your heart before you, before you respond. Uh, another one is uh, higher levels of agitation. I just wish I had a device that would tell me, hey, uh, check your heart. Like, so, so for instance, I, I really do get agitated and it's my own fault, but we, we, have, we have a dog and his name is Mater and he, he's basically my dog. I take care of the dog 90% of the time and the dog does sleep with with Joni and me. Now, Joni does not let Mater get on her side of the bed. And he's like 40 pounds, so he's not a little small little dog. I mean, he's a medium-sized dog. And so if he does encroach on Joni's space, Joni will kick him or even flop him over to my space. And I'm fine, you know, I just want to cuddle with the dog. Now, just know this, I, I, I don't love my dog. I like my dog. And the reason why I don't, don't say that I love my dog is because I also say I love my wife and I love Jesus. And so it's just weird to say that you love Jesus love your wife and then in the same sentence say I love my dog it's just not the same thing I get that and so but anyways he'll he'll nestle and he'll he'll nudge up against me and he'll sleep the entire night but undoubtedly he's been having some some nightmares lately or at least some fun dreams where he's running in a meadow and I don't know if you've ever seen a dog when he's when he or she's in REM sleep and they're ju- they're just doing the paw thing uh, I get very agitated when he has when he has one of those dreams and he begins to paw me at 2 a.m. in the morning and so in my REM sleep he interrupts me. And so I get very agitated and I wear my, I wear my watch and I would love to just have a device that says, check your heart because I like my dog, but I'm really mean to him at 2 a.m. in the morning when he has pawed me. Uh, Another, you you know, another one is heightens level, you know, heightened levels of uh, frustration. Now, I'll be honest, um, there are times where I get, I get really frustrated and I would love a device that just told me, check your heart. I'll give you a for instance. So in our house, Joni and I, we typically are the ones that unload the dishwasher. Now there are times in the morning when, when the dishwasher is full and, it, and it's clean and I'll say that there's times where I don't want to unload the dishwasher. But Joni will come in and she will look at me and she's like, can, 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 can you help a sister out? Like, can you unload the dishwasher? And, and I'm thinking to myself, and again, I would love a device that said, check your heart. I would love it. Because in my mind, I'm thinking if I wanted to unload it, I would have. <laughs> and I also am thinking we have a 16 
14 and 11 year old, they don't pay rent. The least they could do is unload that dishwasher. Yeah. Yeah, so, so I'm frustrated. I, you know, I'm frustrated, but I'd love, I would love a device that would just say, check your heart. You know, <laughs> and I'm sure all of us, uh, you, you know, you, maybe you detect higher levels of greediness or, or rudeness or resentment or bitterness or hostility, and, and you would just love a device that said, check your heart. I hope that we do realize this morning how important heart health is, just physically. I, I would say that heart health is extremely important. I mean, did you know that the leading cause of death among U.S. adults is heart disease? And actually, the leading cause of death in the world is heart disease. And so physically, I would hope that we would understand how important our heart is. But spiritually, the heart is vital. Why? Because it's the central control panel that determines your thoughts and your actions. Solomon, in Proverbs chapter 4, he writes, Above all else, guard your heart, for it is the wellspring of life. As Christians, we, we believe that the entire world, all humanity, has a spiritual heart problem. And we believe that we have a spiritual heart problem because of this thing called sin. We have disobeyed God. We have rebelled, committed treason against a holy God. Therefore, we have a damaged, a bad, a diseased, a sinful heart. And as a result, we will all die. And that's the result of our heart. But here's what we also believe as Christians is that God sent his one and only son. His name is King Jesus. And he paid the price for our sin. So on the cross, Jesus took our place. We deserve the cross. We deserve judgment. We deserve wrath. We deserve hell. We deserve death. But Jesus went there for us. And as a result, he paid the price for our sin, and it even gets better. Not only did he pay the price for our sin, our wicked, diseased heart, but he offers us his heart. He says, hey, listen, I'll give you a heart transplant. See, that, that's exactly what the Old Testament prophesied. It, it, it told us about this, this coming beautiful new covenant. Listen to Ezekiel. He, he, again, this, this, this takes place hundreds of years before Jesus would even come. The prophet Ezekiel, the preacher, says, I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit within you, and I will remove from you your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. So, so the Holy Spirit tells Ezekiel, pin these words, because there's coming a day when God would give humanity a new heart. And so for those who follow Jesus, they've been, they've been given a, a new heart. And so that's why we actually do have a device that allows us to check our heart, and that device is called the Holy Spirit. And so we, we don't have to have a wearable device that says check our heart. We have the Spirit of God living inside of us that is constantly preaching to us, check your heart. Now, I'm going to say that this is a really tough message to preach. Like, I... I have been dreading it all week long because some of you, you're going to get mad at me, but don't get mad at me, get, get mad at Jesus because all I'm going to do is I'm going to, I'm, going to, I'm going to preach the text. But here are the two main points that we are going to flesh out and, 
And it's really one point, but I'm going to say it in a positive way and a negative way. And here it is. Check your heart so you'll help his church. Check your heart so that you don't hurt his church. See, because what's inside of us, again, your heart. And I'm not talking about this muscular organ. I'm talking about the heart that controls your thoughts and your actions and your behaviors. And so here's what I want us to, I want us, and I say us, me included. I want us to check our heart so that we'll make sure we're helping his church and check our heart so that we don't hurt his church. So, so with that in mind, will you stand with me as we honor the reading of God's word? We'll start in verse 32, chapter four, and we'll go through verse 11, chapter five. All the believers were one in and mind. No one claimed that any of their possessions was their own, but they shared everything they had. With great power, the apostles continued to testify to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. And God's grace was was so powerfully at work in them all that, that there were no needy persons among them. For from time to time, those who owned land or houses sold them brought the money from the sales and put it at the apostles' feet. And it was distributed to any who had need. Joseph, a Levite from Cyprus, whom the apostles called Barnabas. So they gave, they gave people nicknames. And so I, I love nicknames. I, I got a couple of nicknames and that's fine. I won't share all of them with you. I won't share any of them with you this morning. But, but Barnabas, his name meant son of encouragement. He was an encourager. And here's what he did. He sold a field he owned and brought the money and put it at the apostles' feet. Verse 1, chapter 5. Now a man named Ananias, together with his wife Sapphira, also sold a piece of property. With his wife's full knowledge, he kept back part of the money for himself, but brought the rest and put it at the apostles' feet. Then Peter said, Ananias, how is it that Satan has so filled your... I want you to know that Satan can find his way into the church. Just chew on that one for a second. How is it, Ananias, that that you have allowed Satan to so fill your heart and that you've lied to the Holy Spirit and have kept for yourself some of the money you received for the land? Didn't it belong to you before it was sold and after it was sold? Was it the money at your disposal? What made you think of doing such a thing? You've not lied just to human beings, but you've actually lied to God. When Ananias heard this, he fell down. He didn't even have time to respond. After he heard this, he fell down and died. And great fear seized all who heard what had happened. Then some young men came forward, wrapped up his body, and carried him out and buried him. About three hours later, don't know how she didn't know, but about three hours later, his wife, Sapphira, she comes in, not knowing what had happened. And Peter asked her, Tell me, is, is this the price you and Ananias got for the land? I could imagine some people going. <laughs> I, could, I could imagine, because all, all, all who heard it. But here's what she said. What did she say? Yes, that is the price. Eh, wrong answer, Peter said to her. How could you conspire to test the spirit of the Lord? Listen. The feet of the men who buried your husband are at the door and they'll, they'll carry you out as well. At that moment, she fell down at his feet and died. Then the young men came in and finding her dead, carried her out and buried her beside her husband. Great fear seized the whole church 
and all who heard about these events. Father, may you be glorified. Jesus, may you be the center of this message. And Spirit, I do pray that you would go to work as only you can do, checking every one of our hearts in here that are engaging with us online. Spirit, so do the work that, that you do, drawing us to King Jesus. I pray for those who are far from you, that they would actually have this reverent fear for you. But in even having this reverent fear that they would be drawn, Spirit, that you would draw them to the beauty, the grace, the forgiveness that exists in King Jesus. And may we all be different as a result of encountering your Spirit and your word this morning. May we be more conformed into the image of Jesus, and it's in your name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. All right, so let's enter into the body of this message with fear and trepidation. We're going to look at six heart checks this morning, and I pray that the Spirit of God would work in these six heart checks, and so I'm going to ask six questions that are meant to examine our hearts. So heart check number one is what's yours his? Is what's yours his? So we, we read that no one claimed any of their possessions was their own, but they shared everything they had. One of the ways that we can check our heart is in how we view our possessions. Do you see your possessions as yours or as his because your ownership determines your stewardship you see owners order the steward so if you feel like you own everything you own your time you own your talents you own your treasures you feel like you can dictate whatever you want when it comes to how you would steward those but when it comes to the church when it comes to believers we need to understand we own nothing everything has been given to us by our heavenly father he is the owner we are not and so therefore since he owns everything we now steward everything under his authority and that's what we see in the early church no one claimed that any of their possessions was their own. And so what we see is this generous giving through mutual sharing. So someone needed a place to live. Hey, here is a guest room. You need some food. We have plenty. You need a donkey to plow your field here. Borrow my, he's stubborn as I'll get out, but he's, he's still a good donkey. You can borrow mine. Uh, your camel died. Hey, let's go to the camel dealership and I'll help you pick out a used camel. You have a difficult time affording new clothes. I, I, we've had a lot of kids. We've got a we got a lot of clothes in the closet. Hey, I'll give you some of ours. You need a job. God has blessed me tremendously with a, with a great business. Come and work for me. This is generous giving through mutual sharing because they saw everything that they had and owned was owned by God. Let me ask you, who owned your house? your clothes, your TVs, your computers, your phones, your devices, your vehicle, your paycheck, your money in the bank, your credit cards, your vacation home, your RV, your 401k, your investments, your abilities, your skill sets, your gifts, your intellect, your job, your career, your children, or your time. Who owns it? Because whoever you feel like owns it will be the one who tells you how to use it. So heart check number one is what is yours his? 
Heart check number two. Would you allow a cut in your living for you to increase your giving? Now, I'm just asking, would you allow? I'm not saying you need to. I'm just saying, would you allow a cut in your living for you to increase your giving? So we see in verse 34. For from time to time, so again, not all the time, but, but for, for, from time to time, those who own land or houses sold them, brought the money from the sale. So at time, in the early church, needs would arise and the apostles would, would make the entire church aware of the needs. And the Spirit of God would go to work and would, would, would put it on people's hearts to meet that need. They had the capacity, they had the ability, and so the Spirit of God moved them to go sell land and property and homes and bring the proceeds and give to the church to meet the need. Let me ask you this question. Would you, and I'll, I'll put it this way too, would we be willing to incur a cut in our time a cut in our treasure, a, a cut in our talents to give to needs that arise. If we are never willing to depart with something, that means that we have ascribed to that something so much worth that we cannot envision our life without it. If that is the case, if you're not willing to depart with anything that you have, any time, any of your treasure, and any of your talents, if you're not willing to, to cut from anything that you have because you cannot envision your life without it, let me tell you what the Bible calls that. That is called idolatry. That's extreme love for something that takes the place of God. Because you cannot depart from that, it means that you believe that that part has become so part of you that you cannot depart from it. There's only one thing, church, don't miss this. There's only one thing that we should never depart from, that we cannot and should not depart from, and his name is Jesus. Everything else we can part from. His love is better than life. That, that's who we need to cling to Jesus tightly and our possessions loosely. You all right? Man, that was some crickets there, but that's all right. I'll keep going. I'll keep going. So heart check number three. Is your giving an act of surrender? Is your giving an act of surrender? So here's what they did. They brought the money from the sales and put it at the apostles' feet. So they're not saying, hey, Peter, you gotta use this money just like this. No, they surrendered. Hey, we're not going to put in these stipulations. We're not going to try to control where the money goes, how the money is going to be spent. No, we're just giving as an act of surrender. Wouldn't it be awkward if our Christmases were like a lot of stipulations in the gifts that we gave? Now, now, Caleb, let me tell you, we're going to give you, we're going to give you these gifts, but this is exactly how we want you to use it. This is when we want you to use it, how we want you to use it. And so if you don't use it that way, we're going to take it back. I mean, it'd just be weird and because if you give something, you are surrendering over to the receiver. And so that's exactly what's happening here is that they're selling their possessions and they're giving the, the money to the apostles and say, hey, we trust the Lord's work in and through your leadership. Use it however you see fit. 
Now, at the end of chapter 4, we see an example of someone who embodies one in heart and mind. So, someone who embodies a healthy heart, and his name is Barnabas, the son of encouragement. And here's what Luke writes about him. So, Joseph, a Levite from Cyprus, whom the apostles called Barnabas, sold a field he owned and brought the money and put it at the apostles' feet. I mean, so here, here's Barnabas. He exemplifies a healthy heart that is centered around King Jesus. Barnabas saw his possessions as God's, not his. Barnabas was was allowing a cut in his living so that he could give. And his giving was an act of surrender. And actually, if you follow Barnabas throughout the book of Acts, you're going to see not only did he surrender his treasures, but he also surrendered his time and his talents. He constantly was encouraging people, including Paul. When no one, when, when, when Paul was actually Saul and, and God, God radically saved him. Now you have to remember Saul was killing Christians and putting them in jail. Well, so when he came to faith in Jesus and, and he showed up at church one day, you, you could imagine uh, people just didn't want to befriend Paul. They're like, uh, well, is he really saved or is he just here to put us in jail? Barnabas stood up and said, no, I'll, I'll, I'll encourage, I'll encourage him. And then you continue to follow Barnabas. He's part of the first group that will be sent out as missionaries. And then later on, he has such a heart for, for those who might, might struggle or for those whom people don't really want to be with anymore, like John Mark. And he's like, no, I'll take John Mark under my wing. I mean, so Barnabas exemplifies a healthy heart. Here's the principle. A church with healthy hearts has helping hands. Are your hands helping here? Are your hands helping here? Are you giving your time, any of your talents, any of your treasures to help his church? Because a church with healthy hearts has healthy, has helping hands. So Luke is going to swiftly move from highlighting the healthiness of the church to highlighting the corruption within the church. And we are introduced to a man named Ananias and his wife, Sapphira. And obviously they are well off because they are part of the group that had extra property, extra possessions that they could sell. And so they do, they, they sell their, their possessions, their land. Maybe it was their lake house on the Sea of Galilee. Maybe they had a farm in Bethlehem and they sold it, or maybe they owned an Airbnb in Jericho. We don't know, all we know is that they, they sold a piece of property. But it's what they did with the piece of property that was different than what Barnabas did, which leads to heart check number four. Am I pretending to deliver what I promised? Am I pretending to deliver what I promised? So we read, with his wife's full knowledge, Ananias kept back part of the money for himself, but brought the rest and put it at the apostles' feet. Now, the word kept back, It actually means to steal, misappropriate funds, or embezzle. It it appears that Ananias had arranged with church leadership, hey, Peter, I'm I'm going to, you know, Sapphira and I, we're going to sell this piece of property. Whatever we get from it, we're going to give it to the church. However, he doesn't do that. So he conspires with his wife. 
he withholds a portion. So he embezzles a portion from the proceeds and then gives the rest to the apostles. And it was not the full amount that he had told them that he would give them. Now, why why does Ananias do this? Why does he keep back a portion? Well, maybe he thought he got more than what he, he, he thought he would. Uh, maybe he needed a new camel. His, his camel had high mileage. And he's like, man, I got a little extra here. Hey, I'll, I'll, just keep, I'll just keep some of it back. Go buy me a new camel. No harm, no foul. Maybe they had a senior in high school and they got to thinking, well, you know what? Maybe a portion of this we can give to the college fund. Maybe he was a member at the country club of Jerusalem and he needed a new set of golf clubs. He's like, man, this is a pretty big chunk of money. Let me just take, let me just take a fraction of it. I'll go buy some new clubs at the PGA Superstore and it will be great. Maybe Maybe they needed a new addition on their home. Maybe their 25th anniversary was coming up. And he's like, you know what? We got a lot lot for this land. Maybe I'll get Sapphira a nice ring. We don't know why he kept back a portion. All we know is he kept back a portion from the proceeds. Now, regardless of whatever the reasoning was, the ultimate reason, something was going on with his heart. Something selfish and self-centered. Something that was stingy, greedy, was going on in Ananias' heart. See, when you think about the word embezzle, you, you, you you have to think about, well, he's lying to cover up something. And then when someone embezzles, they're trying to keep it to themselves what they are doing so that no one else knows. Here's what I want us to know, church. God knows. You cannot embezzle and keep it from God. And Ananias lied and embezzled. I mean, he should have just had a conversation. Hey, Peter, hey, let, let me, let me hey, we sold this. I know what we said, but hey, we had to change your mind. Like if he would have done that, there would have been no harm, no foul. But what he did is he pretended to give what he had promised to give. Now, before we throw Ananias under the bus, we, and again, I'm saying we, everybody say we, we must see how we are all prone to wonder and we have the proclivity to relapse just like Ananias did. So, so we all can be guilty of pretending to deliver what we promised. Well, well, how is that, Josh? Well, first, it applies in the way it applies here to Ananias. He said he was going to do something. He didn't do it. His yes was not his yes. And so the Bible says, let your yes be yes and your no be no. If you say you're going to do something, do it. And if you cannot do it, you need to go ahead and, uh, you know, unveil. I, you know what? I know I said this, but I, I'm going to fall short. I'm, I'm not going to be able to do it. So if you ever say that you're going to do something, do it. And if you can't do it, just let them know that you can't do it. Don't, don't pretend, oh, I did it, I did it. And then don't be, don't be making excuses when you didn't do it. And then second, it actually applies to the realm also of the entire Christian life. Well, how, how is that? When we come to faith in Jesus, we give him our entire life. Our entire life. That's why Jesus says anyone who's wishing, willing to come after me must deny himself, herself, pick up their cross and follow me. That idea of picking up your cross is dying to yourself and living to Jesus. 
When we followed Jesus, we gave him our entire life. In, in, in essence, we married Jesus. Jesus became our groom. We became his bride. That is the kind of relationship God wants to have with his children. That is the kind of relationship God wants to have with his people, a marital covenantal relationship. So could you imagine over about 20 years ago when, when Joni and I got married, could you imagine me having the conversation with Joni? Hey, hey, babe. Listen, I really do love you. And I, I, I tell you what, six days a week, completely, totally committed to you. But on Tuesdays, I, 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 I would love to have an, an open Tuesday to, to date e anyone that might come, come, come on the scene. That would be stupid. No, you, you really don't need to get married. Like you don't need to enter into that relationship if you're, if you're still thinking about some openness, right? Or what, 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 what about this? What, what if I gave the appearance that I would be faithful to my wife seven days a week, but I had mistresses on the side? You would say that was adultery. That was cheating on my wife. And you would be correct. How many Christians enter into a relationship with Jesus pretending that they are all in with him, but still dating on the side or they have mistresses that no one else knows about? They haven't given Jesus everything. They're still dating, sexuality, however they want to live. They're, they're, they're still dating, being unfaithful in their marriage. They're still dating their business and vocation because that's supreme in their life. They're still, they're still dating their finances because they've not given their finances over to Jesus. They're, they're still dating their busyness and their time and they don't want Jesus to infringe upon their time or their attitude or politics. No, you can have everything Jesus, but you don't have my politics. And then what, what if I gave, here's the other thing. What if I gave the appearance that I am the perfect husband? I mean, because here's the thing. I, I know if you have a conversation with Joni and, and you say, is Josh perfect? I promise you, she's going to immediately say, no, he's not. But what if I, what if I walked around going, man, I'm such a great husband. I do this, I do this. Oh my, my goodness, my wife is so blessed to have me. I walk around with this appearance of, of this piety, this self-righteousness. How many Christians are walking around today with their nose up in the air, stuck in their self-righteousness, stuck in their piety, acting as if they are better than everyone else? You do realize that when we come to Jesus, we come broken because we don't have it all together. I tell people, I really do. When I sit and I talk about my story, I am a broken man. And I lead my family from a place of brokenness. I lead this church from a place of brokenness. You will see that Josh Laxton does not have it all together. But there is one who has it all together. And his name is Jesus and I'm in dire need of him. <laughs> Pretending Christians. Pretending they are faithful when they are not or pretending they are perfect when they are not gives a false reality to a watching world. There's no wonder there's, there, there's no more reverence in our culture for the church that we are a laughing stock because we walk around pretending. Pretending. 
And then if you are one that you have been hurt by a pretending Christian or church, I'm sorry. That's why we need to check our heart. You okay? Heart check number five. Do I see my small hidden sins as insignificant to God? How is it that Satan has so filled your heart that you have lied to the Holy Spirit? I could imagine Ananias. Could you imagine? <laughs> Ananias. Walking up, walking up to church that day, walking up to Peter. He's got his check in his back pocket. He's like, man, this is going to be a great day. I'm about to give them one big fat check. Mm-hmm, look at me, look at me. And then he comes and he says, here you go, Peter. And then Peter doesn't say, thank you, Ananias. Woo, that's so generous of you, Ananias. You know what Peter says? Uh, How is it? Ananias, that Satan has so filled your heart. Could you imagine if you're Ananias? That's very offensive, Peter. Don't listen. Who else is? Who else has brought a check that size? Right here. Come on. I mean, now he doesn't have time. But I would, I would imagine that Ananias, he's pretty taken back by what Peter has just said. And I'm sure as Peter continued to talk, Ananias plans his case of defense. Well, Peter, it wasn't that bad. I mean, it's, well, what's the big deal? It was my money to begin with. I think you're going a little bit overboard, Peter. Satan filling my heart. I mean, look, look, I mean, I'm giving to the church. I mean, it's not my intention. What I did was harmless, Peter. Well, what was the sin? Well, you could use multiple words, greed, selfishness, pride, he lied. Now, these are just common sins, right? It's not like he murdered anyone. It's not like he committed adultery. I mean, he just kept some, he just kept some money back from, 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 from a large sum of money. You know, what he failed to realize, and this is what we failed to realize in the 21st century here in the U.S., in the church, God is serious about sin. Regardless of whether they are big sins or small sins in our eyes, God is serious about sin. How do we know that God is serious about sin? Well, first, because he sent his one and only son to die for the sin of the world. He was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Jesus just didn't die for murderers and adulterers. He died for people who lie, for people who are full of pride. He died, he died for people who embezzle. He died, he died for, for people who are selfish and self-centered and live for themselves. He died for all sins, both micro and macro. And then, and then also we know that God is serious about sin because Ananias would never get a chance to plead his case. God took Ananias out. Now, now Josh, what, what is God doing here with Ananias? Well, what God is doing here with Ananias is establishing up front during the infancy of the church that he hates sin and that unconfessed, unrepentant sin has no place in the life of the people of God. God is not calling the church to perfection. He is calling the church to confession. Some might say, well, why did God respond so intensely? Didn't God go overboard? No, 
Actually, how God responded here in Acts chapter five is, is actually nothing new to how he had responded in the past. If you think of Adam and Eve, he immediately kicked them out of the garden just from eating from a tree that he told them not to eat from. Nadab and Abihu in Leviticus 10, at the institution of the priesthood, they, they offered unauthorized incense, unauthorized sacrifice, and God took them out. The sin of Achan. So as, as Israel, as they are entering into the promised land and they are conquering, you have Achan, after they destroyed Jericho, he takes some gold and silver. And they were, they're supposed to give all the bounty over to the leadership. But he's like, you know what? It's just a few little things. I'm going to keep them for myself. I'm going to put them in my tent. Well, they, they lost. They lost the battle at Ai. And Joshua's like, we, we should have won that battle. What happened? And God said, well, they got, you got some sin in the camp. And then Joshua, he starts this investigation to see where the sin is. Turns out it's Achan. He's just kept back some gold and silver, some trinkets from, from the battle in Jericho. And they kill Achan and his entire family. Saul, the, the first king of Israel, because he disobeyed, and it's the institution of the kingship, because he disobeyed God, God took the kingship away from Saul and his family. Uzzah was killed for touching the ark upon its return to Jerusalem in 2 Samuel 6. So it, it definitely seems that God has set the precedent from the beginning. And when, it, when it comes to this new movement among God's people, God is setting the precedent. You better do things my way, not your way, my way. Regardless of how good of an idea you think it is, if it's not my way, it's the wrong way. Now, in over 40 years of being, being alive, I've been kicked out of a few things in my life. I've been kicked out of seventh grade science class for playing pencil break. I'm like, it was just pencil break, but I got kicked out. I've been, I've been kicked out and ejected, I'm not happy about this, from, from church basketball games in the past. <laughs> got, got, a little, got a little too passionate. In all cases, here's what happened. I broke the rules. I broke the standards. I broke the policies. Regardless of what I thought or how, 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 how small or insignificant it was, I didn't live up to the standards, and so I got kicked out. Listen, when it comes to God's church, it's his house, therefore it's his rules. If he says be holy, we better be holy. And when we're not holy, we just better confess we missed the mark. And then third, here's why we know God is serious about sin. Let's just play it out to its logical conclusion. If God just let things slide in his church, if he ignored sin, didn't deal with sin, he just swept it under the rug, what would you, what would you think would eventually happen? His people would look just like the world. And then how is that good for the world? And how is that glorifying to him? Here's the principle. Small things left unchecked grow into large things uncontrolled. Small things left unchecked grow into large things uncontrolled. Small sins are a big matter to a great God. I, man, I just crickets. It's all right, it's all right. What small sin is in our life that we don't think is a big deal? Oh, it's just some images on the computer, Josh. What's the big deal about that? 
I'm just flirting with the coworker. I mean, it's harmless. It's just, it's just play. I'm just, just playing around. It's just a little fib. I mean, it's taxes. They don't deserve it anyways. It's the IRS. I have every right to be bitter. I, I don't need to forgive them. You do the same thing if they done what they did to me to you. Well, it's just a little gossip. I mean, let's pray for Let's pray for her. God bless her. It's just a little complaint. I mean, what, what, what's the big deal? What's the big deal of, of, of just a, a, a little complaint? I, I just didn't like what they did. They, they should have told me. I, I was fine after I vented. How bad is affirming a sinful lifestyle? I mean, at the end of the day, we're just supposed to love everybody, aren't we? You do realize Jesus doubled down on small sins. He said, you have heard it said, if you commit adultery, but I say to you, if you just lust, you've committed adultery. You, 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 if you insult your brother, you're liable for judgment. And I know what some of you are asking yourself internally. Uh, what does God do today? Does he take people out? Well, when I read 1 John 5, 16, I wouldn't take a yes off the table. But here's what I, I think he does do more so today than here with Ananias and Sapphira. Because this is, first, I mean, this is the, he does this and you, you won't really see this again in the book of Acts. But here's what I, I believe that he does today. He takes out churches. Churches who will not preach the word. Churches who will not call sin, sin. Churches who will not be full of truth and grace who will allow unrepentant, unconfessed sin to stay in their body, he will eventually take them out. We see that in Revelations 2.15, Jesus promises he will remove a church's lampstand for unrepented sin. Why? Because Jesus' church does not get to live any way she wants to. We cannot claim the love of God and not embrace the life God has for us. And we are... And you can, you can tell, I, I'm, I'm trying to be as, as sensitive and low-key with this as I possibly can, because I know it's weighty. We are living in a dangerous Christian culture today where it seems as if we are sliding into what people would call antinomianism, which is there is no standard of living, you can live however you want to, where we just claim the grace of God at the expense of the holiness of God, north and we cannot go in this direction. We must constantly check our heart. I promise you, I, I, I mean, I will make you this promise. If you will find a church that will unapologetically preach the word and preach hard messages like this, and you will, and, and here's the thing, and you will keep a soft heart, I, pr I promise you, you will have a more fulfilling and fully alive life. I, I promise you that. The last heart check is this. Who are you synced up with? Who are you synced up with? Is this the price you and Ananias got for the land? Yes, that is the price. How could you conspire to test the spirit of the Lord? So after the student interns bury Ananias, three hours later, Sapphira comes in and she's kind of looking for her husband. She'd been texting him, he's not responded. He's been trying to call his phone. Life 360 is off. 
The last location was the church. So, so Sapphira comes in and Peter asks, is this the price? He doesn't even say, hey, sister, how are you doing? He just goes up. Hey, is this the price? And the Bible says she, she had conspired. Because Peter says, how could you conspire? That word conspire is actually where we get our English word symphony from. They were in agreement. They were in harmony together. You see, Sapphira, she chose to be in sync with her spouse rather than in sync with the spirit. Men, let this be a warning to us. We better beware of how we're leading our family because we can be leading them in a deathly, hellish way or we can be leading them in a heavenly way. Now, it was, it was definitely Sapphira. She has to own what she did, and she will. She conspired with her husband, but, but she, she followed her husband. Let me ask you this. Who, who are you in sync with? Who are you in symphony with? See, later on in chapter 5, the, the apostles, they would be arrested for preaching the name of Jesus. And the religious leaders there in Jerusalem would have them arrested. And the Spirit miraculously freed them from jail. And they went right back to the temple to preach Jesus. And the, the religious authorities found out. They, they made their way back there. They said, go get them and bring them here. And they said, don't preach the name of Jesus. And the, the apostles, Peter being the voice of them, said, we, we cannot obey men, we must obey God. And when they said that, what they are saying is that we will not be in sync with you because to be in sync with what you are commanding will be out of sync with the Spirit and what he's called us to. And they said we must, we have to keep preaching the name of Jesus. See, they actually exemplify for us what it means to go against authority because God is our ultimate authority. Sapphira chose to be in sync with her earthly authority, her husband to conspire with him rather than to be in sync and to conspire with the Holy Spirit. And here's what we want to do. We want to be a church that conspires with the Holy Spirit and the movement of God. That's who we want to be. And could it just be that on this weekend, when revival is breaking out among college students that months ago, months ago, God would put it on our heart to start here this weekend with the message titling, Check Your Heart. And so here's what I want to do for the, for the next five, ten minutes. We're going to open up the altar to check your heart. And just because you come up to the altar doesn't mean you got big sins in your life. It just means, listen, I'm going to confess. I'm going to empty myself out. I'm tired of having junk in the trunk. I'm tired of pretending. I want to, I want to give it to Jesus. That, that's what we want to do. We want to be in sync with the Spirit and to be a church on fire for Him. That doesn't mean we're going to be perfect, but we're going to be surrendered to Him. That's what we're going to do. Jesus, Spirit of God, move in our midst. For it's in your name we pray for your glory. Amen.